Welcome to the FPA podcast. I'm Dante Degori, the Chief Executive of the Financial Planning Association of Australia. This week, I'll be chatting with Ben Marsh, our Head of Policy, Innovation and Strategy, and Nick Hannon, our Head of Government Relations, about the recent federal budget, what that means for members and the profession overall. Hi, Nick and Ben. Thanks for joining me. We're going to have a bit of a chat about the uh, recent federal budget and, uh, and obviously present some of the, um, the key components of the budget, but also some of the things that are, I think, relevant for our members in respect to the advice they give to their clients. But before I kick off, have a bit of a discussion about how the lockup, what, what happened this year in lockup, how was it different to maybe past years and what your experience was like? Sure. Thanks, Dante. And good to be here. Lockup, for those who, who don't know, is uh, a few hours before budget is released on, on the Tuesday of budget in which um, journalists, media and other stakeholders get put into a room. We get access to the budget documents and we get to go through uh, and see what's in the budget uh, ahead of everybody. Um, but we can't leave and we're not allowed to have any communication with the outside world. So it just gives us a chance to, uh, I guess, get ahead of what's coming in the budget and then come out on Tuesday night and uh, you know, report to, to the public what, uh, what we think. So we, we go to budget lockup uh, every year so that we can put out our budget wrap up promptly on Tuesday night. Um, I have to say uh, it, it was a fairly subdued affair this week. It's normally full of excitement and energy. I think largely a lot of the, the big money items in the budget had been uh, released and talked about in the weeks leading up to budget. So there wasn't a lot of uh, big surprises. Certainly there was lots of little interesting uh, measures that, that our members will be interested in. But uh, I think in you know, the broad strokes of the budget were well known before Tuesday night. And so it was a fairly quiet, quiet evening. Yes, and um, but obviously giving access to those papers. If those of you haven't seen, there are plenty of books, budget books, isn't there, um, that uh, are given to you as well as a whole bunch of press releases possibly as well. So they give you a, a, a big pack of, of the budget documents and try and get through as much as you can in the time. You know, again, just to give a bit of perspective for, for our members here, I mean, where, where do you dive into first? How do you how do you sort of set yourself up in terms of what you're looking for and, and how do you go about finding it and start starting the process of, of putting it in sort of a summary brief for, for the rest of us to be able to consume and, and read? Uh, I like skimming through the Treasurer's speech because at the very least it gives you uh, a sense of what the Treasurer thinks the priorities are and what the important things are for the government. So I'll spend a few minutes just going through there and highlighting anything that stands out. Budget papers one and two are where the, uh, you know, most of the detail of the measures are. It gives you the economic outlook and the, the budget outlook, um, all the assumptions the government's used to, to come up with their budget numbers. Uh, budget paper two is where all the, the new measures are that we might be interested in. And then most of the financial advice area is covered by the Treasury portfolio. So looking at the, the Treasury portfolio budget statement is often an interesting read as well. So I'll just go through and spend the first hour essentially identifying the key issues and measures, and then I'll go back and start getting into those in, in some detail, pulling out the information that, that we think is relevant for members and writing some notes. And then the team back at FBA headquarters starts putting that into a slightly more user-friendly document for members to get later that night. Excellent, yeah, and look, you know, and a, and a big thank you to you and Ben and the team there's a, a group of people that stay up late and, and anticipate your notes and 
and of course, put together the budget wrap. And so for those of you listening to us, I'm sure you're familiar with the FPA budget wrap. And so I think now we'll we'll just have a bit of a chat about what maybe some of the key parts of the budget that uh, we that we identified and that we uh, thought were of interest to members. So, so Ben, I'll bring you here. You know, for you, I suppose, what were the what were the sort of standout items for you from the budget that you think are of um, uh, that are worth noting? Hi everyone, uh, thanks for bringing me in, Dante. And unfortunately, there's not a lot in the budget this year for members and and for their clients. Most of the measures that were talked about in the budget are things that are more likely to come into place in from one July 2022 rather than from one July 2021. So there was an extension of the low and middle income tax offset, which is something that that you can sort of talk to to clients about in the context of being tax financial advisors at this point in time. And there was a little bit of change around the pension loan scheme, which I think is something interesting and something that that certainly there's a lot of value that can be given to maybe lower net worth clients uh, who, are, who are sort of age pension age that sometimes gets missed or not thought about in terms of, of advice being provided. But everything else in terms of financial planning related budget measures, um, particularly around superannuation and more things that are going to come in from from next financial year and uh, well sorry the financial year after in 2022. The one thing I would really like to to highlight though is actually not really to do with financial planning but is more to do with the consumer data right and I think if members haven't been paying attention to the consumer data right, that's probably something that will that'll gain some momentum this year in that there's a lot of money being thrown at the consumer data right to make it more functional and broader across the financial services uh, industry uh, more quickly. And what that would do is allow our clients to provide us authority to suck in data from their financial institutions and put that straight into back fines. So I think there's actually a great opportunity through the budget process and the money that's being put towards the CDR that members are going to be able to take advantage of in their process, the, the way they provide financial advice and even the way that they share information with uh, their clients over the year and track how clients are doing against their financial plan, which is probably a little bit more interesting than, than the actual measures that were in the budget around superannuation, which I'm sure we will talk about shortly. Thanks, Ben. And Nick, was there anything that was a standout for you uh, from the budget that you think is worth highlighting? I mean, I think just generally the context of this budget has been quite unusual. The the rhetoric we've put up with for 10 years now around budget time has always been about debt and deficit and just seeing the, the coalition become much more comfortable with um, deficit spending in a good cause has been very interesting. It's very much now about spending money or providing tax relief and support to the economy to drive economic growth, to drive uh, employment. And the Treasurer has been pretty unapologetic in having some ambitious goals around unemployment that this is, this budget is focused on. So that, that's been a very uh, quick and abrupt change, I think, in the, the rhetoric around budget from two years ago, pre-pandemic, to, to now. Mm. Yeah, very much so. I think um, it was very clear from the the media and, uh, and the discussions post-budget about how I think as a, as a nation, as a as Australians, we have become, I think, a lot more accepting of the need to be in uh, deficit in order to spend to continue to 
have economic stability, uh, as well as ensuring that we are, are safe in respect to COVID. And um, there isn't as much emphasis, I think, being placed on getting back into surplus as there once was uh, only a few years ago. So in light of that, and, and if we could sort of hone it down a little bit into the super, into superannuation changes first, as Ben mentioned, uh, both of you mentioned, there hasn't been any significant major uh, announcements. And we obviously uh, have championed for a while now that we we aren't necessarily in favour of continuing tinkering of the superannuation system. But in terms of the uh, announcements made, changes to the caps, for example, and some of the some other measures around downsizing of downsizing contributions and removing the work test, I want to just go through some of those and uh, and just highlight for our members what those changes are. So, um, Ben, did you want to go through some of those uh, actual changes? Yeah, no worries, Dante. And and I think, as I said, most of the changes that were announced were actually are actually more coming in from 1 July 2022. Um, it's it's what wasn't announced that is probably far more interesting and has far more impact on the advice that you'll be providing your clients. So uh, we've been waiting for a while, but it's actually indexation year next year. For those of you who have been following along, we the, the transfer balance cap, the concessional contribution cap and non-concessional contribution caps have been fairly static or have been reducing the last decade or so but we've hit an indexation point. So what wasn't announced in the budget, but is something that that you need to start thinking about with your clients is the indexation of those. So we've got the transfer balance cap, for example, going up to $1.7 million from 1 July. We have the concessional contribution cap going up to 27,500. Um, we've got the non-concessional cap going up to 110,000 or $330,000 over three years. Um, so these are the sort of things that that are, are coming through that that offer opportunities for you to talk to your clients about and and change the, their plans and strategies if you haven't done so already. Um, the other thing that there was a lot of conversation about in the lead up to the budget and then obviously didn't happen was a change to the superannuation guarantee and whether or not the government would look to freeze the superannuation guarantee at 9.5% or whether they would look to make anything above that be voluntary. So you could choose, you could opt in or opt out of receiving it. The government actually made no announcement around the superannuation guarantee. So we're sort of on track for that to move to the 10% from, from 1 July and then transition up to 12% over the next next few years. Um, so that those are the main, those are the main things that are going to affect your financial planning uh, immediately and across across next financial year. The sort of measures that we saw introduced for 1 July 2022 is reducing the contribution age for the downsizer contributions. So currently you have to be over 65 if you're downsizing your home and and can put up to $300,000 into super. Um, That's going to drop to 60. There is a proposal to remove the work test for individuals between age 67 and 74, which will allow people between those ages to make non-concessional or salary sacrifice contributions into their superannuation without having to meet the 40 hours and 30 day work test. In saying that, if they want to make personal deductible contributions, so if they're self-employed, they're still going to need to meet that 40 hours and 30 day day work test. And then the other, the other measures 
probably a little bit in general, probably a little bit outside of what we're usually providing advice on, but the, the superannuation guarantee threshold is going to be removed. The first home super savers scheme, which is a mouthful, is going to allow you to take $50,000 instead of thirty. So those were two of the other changes. And I guess the other two are sort of more structural in that they affect how superannuation products and self-managed super funds work in that the government is going to allow legacy retirement products to be converted into account-based pension or modern types of pension products. So you might have some clients who are stuck in fixed-term pensions or market-linked pensions that have that they've had for long, long periods of time. So most of these were, were in place before September 20, 2007. So we're talking what's that 14, 15 years, these, these things have been in place as a minimum. Members of those products are going to be able to commute those and move them into other retirement-type products with no penalty. And then the self-managed super fund residency requirements are going to be extended from two years to five years. So members of self-managed super funds can go overseas and work overseas for for up to five years without having to uh, give up control of that self-managed super fund to bring it more in line with APRA-regulated schemes and how they work. Uh, So a lot there, but nothing that will necessarily affect the way we're providing advice next financial year. Thanks, Ben. Um, yeah, so there's uh, just to mention again, not, not made any major changes in superannuation, but uh, just hearing you go through that, there's obviously a lot of different measures that have either been increased or, or, or expanded on. Of course, the caps, as you mentioned, uh, those indexation comes into play. So that's very important for advisors to be aware of those and potential impacts on salary sacrificing strategies, et cetera. There were also areas uh, in terms of social security and aged care that were announced in respect to the pension loan scheme. Is there anything there that is of note for advisors around the pension loan scheme that we should be aware of? Yeah, I think two main changes announced there. The the first is that uh, to date with the pension loan scheme, you've only been able to take a single lump sum. Uh, the government is going to allow that to be split into two separate lump sums going forward. So rather than one payment a year, you can take two payments a year, which just provides a little bit more flexibility. And then the government uh, has had some criticism of the fact that they're able to take a right over your primary residence, which is higher than the value of your primary residence. So put you in a negative equity position. Um, so the government's going to introduce a no negative equity guarantee on the pension loan scheme. So irrespective of what your house becomes worth over time and what the sale price is, the, the government won't put you in a negative equity position or leave your estate in a negative equity position when it's time to sell it up. So uh, I think that that's a positive. And I think the main thing to be aware of is that the government intends to spend a bit of money advertising and raising awareness of the pension loan scheme. So you'll potentially have clients um, coming to you and asking about the pension loan scheme and and access to it because there is this awareness raising exercise that's going to going to go on. And one of the important things to know is your as as financial planners, as members, we're probably not going to see it. They're going to be targeting that that raising awareness to publications and and media that that 
age pensioners are looking at and and communications they're receiving directly rather than than going through AFR or, or the trade media that we we usually have a look at. So uh, just be aware that you may have more clients asking you about it, and it's because the government's going to try and make more people aware of it. Great, thanks, Ben. And then obviously there was uh, well there was a lot made about the Aged Care Royal Commission and an announcement of a large uh, a large amount of about $17.7 billion towards the aged care system. Is there anything there of notes for members at this stage about that apart from the funding? Or will there be likely to be some imp uh, implications as a result of strategy and advice in aged care that will flow out of this? Any thoughts on that at this stage? Not hugely. So most of the changes are actually to support the operation of the aged care sector in response to the recommendations made by the Royal Commission rather than necessarily the way funding of the system works from the perspective of the the person going into aged care. I mean, the, the big highlights that, that uh, are probably worth knowing about is that there will be more home care spots made available. So an additional 80,000 home care packages um, over the next two financial years will be released on top of what was already what was already budgeted for. So that means more people can stay in their own home and get access to, to care in their own house. Uh, and then the other thing, the other area that will affect from a funding funding basis is that the government is going to provide a $10 per person per day supplement on the basic daily fee. So that means effectively that it'll cost $70 less a day, a week in terms of funding aged care places, but um, fundamentally doesn't have a massive effect on, on the strategies or things we're talking to clients about. Everything else was really in relation to improving the quality and safety, improving the, the workforce, so having more, more skilled uh, people working in aged care facilities and improving the governance around aged care facilities to improve the protection of residents, functioning of, of aged care facilities and homes and things like that. So it's more about the, the structure of it. So not, not too much affecting mm. clients directly, more improving the quality of, of aged care and, and the options that are available. Yeah, and uh, very much long overdue, I think, as well. I think we've all been seen through the Royal Commission as well. Nick, I'll just turn to you. I think there was uh, some, you know, we out of interest and this is interest for our members and, and for us in particular about uh, what the budget has to say about our regulators. And uh, there was some announcements there about some funding and, and staffing issues. You just want to walk us through in particular uh, Treasury, ASIC and, and FASIA and what's happening and uh, that may be of note for our members for in, as, as, a, as a point of interest. Sure. So the budget provides what you might call top line figures for most of the agencies in the government. And it's always interesting to keep an eye on what's going on. Uh, it, it, sometimes what you see, it's not uh, easy to understand exactly why the, the numbers are moving the way they are. Um, we'll need to dig further to, uh, to really uncover what's going on. But if you, if you take Treasury, for example, the Treasury's budget's going up by about 150 million over the next year. And the staffing is increasing by, I think, just shy of 200. So that's pretty, uh, substantial increase for Treasury. Part of that will be because Treasury is accepting functions from other agencies, for example, the uh, the infrastructure 
and project financing agency is moving into Treasury from the infrastructure department. And that will uh, will have some staff and some budget coming with it. But Treasury's uh, been one of the winners in in uh, in the budget. ASIC's budget has actually dropped uh, fairly substantially, and again the staffing number has has dropped as well. Now part of the that move will be because the business registry function that ASIC has is moving to the ATO next year, uh, and that'll be of of interest to us because one of the registers will be the financial advisor register, so that will be moving to the ATO. Now there there has been some talk about a a review that um, has some money under the the government's deregulation agenda. There's been $3.9 million set aside for a review of cost recovery mechanisms in the the government. Now, obviously we've been pushing for the last couple of months for a review of the ASIC industry levy, given the, the substantial increases that have been going on there. This deregulation measure is not directly at the ASIC industry levy. It is a more general review of the government's broad framework for cost recovery. So they, they, there is a cost recovery policy that applies across government and it applies to uh, industry funding in a whole range of different areas, ASIC being just one of those. So it is, it is positive that the government is recognising that costs to business are a significant issue. And there is a, a sort of a broad brush review of how cost recovery works, but it is still not the review of the ASIC industry levy that we've been calling for. And obviously, we'll keep pushing the government to do that because it's something that that's very important for us and our members. The other uh, major, I guess, uh, agency that, that we're interested in, FASIA, the budget confirms that FASIA will be we will be wrapped up at the end of the calendar year. It's been allocated a, a portion of funding, $2.5 million, to get it through the half year after this financial year. FASIA was originally funded through a, an industry funding deal with the major institutions that expires on the 30th of June. So they've been given a bit of extra cash to tide them over to the end of their period on the 31st of December. And then we assume there will be uh, a new model which the government's consulting on at the moment. And that will involve Treasury supporting the the minister to perform many of of the CS functions. Yes, and that brings an end to the FASIA as, a, as, a, as an organisation, as an entity, and, and, and the acronym FASIA, no doubt, will probably start being removed from our vocabulary post 1 January. All right. Well, thank you very much, uh, Nick and Ben. That was uh, great to uh, get your insights from budget lockup to the details of the budget across a, a number of different areas. Obviously, as this progresses, much of this has to be legislated and uh, we'll keep members posted through our regular communications via our newsletter, uh, weekly newsletter on FPA Today or on our website, um, as well as through FPA Community, encouraging members, if you haven't already, to please log on to FPA Community and join the conversation, but also great source of information as well and updates. But until next time, I really appreciate uh, your company, Nick and Ben, and we'll be looking to talk to our members again uh, in due course there's always a number of issues that uh, are popping up from now from time to time that would be worth a conversation on so we'll no doubt be back here again and thank you for those of you who have joined in to listen to this edition of the podcast and hope to get your company again next time bye for now